Rejected by liberal scholars and causing an uproar of controversy throughout the centuries, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ is perhaps the most debated prophecy in all of Scripture. Welcome to the Sunday Sermon on Through the Bible. I'm Steve Schwetz, your host, and today we continue our study of unusual prophecies leading to the birth of Christ as we turn to the Old Testament book of Isaiah chapter 11, and our teacher, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, takes us to the heart of this discussion surrounding the miraculous arrival of our Lord. So let's quiet our hearts to ready ourselves for this important study. Please pray with me. Father, thank you for the timeless truths that we continue to discover in your word The more we read, the more we are in awe of you. We pray the prophecies that we study in Isaiah would stir in our hearts a new appreciation for the way that you prepared the world for your precious son. In his name we pray, amen. Here's the Sunday Sermon on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now we'd like to begin tonight with this prophecy, although it relates to the second coming of Christ. It also has to do with the fact of his coming into the world the first time and how he would come. In these very brief series that we have been running here on Thursday night during the month of December, we have attempted to show that beginning even in the Garden of Eden, that God began to open up a highway and put down certain highway markers that was going to lead to Bethlehem and the coming of the Savior into the world. And he made it very clear along the way what he intended to do. At the beginning, I must admit that he didn't say too much at the very beginning. He said the seed of the woman. And it was obvious at that time that there was coming through Eve, down, they thought, immediately, But we know now it was to be down through the ages. There would come one born of a woman who would be the Redeemer and be the Savior. Now that's all was told at the beginning and that was all that was necessary. Now as God began to move down through the centuries, he took a man and from this man he said, I'll make you a nation. I'm actually going to give you a land because I'm going to have a stage on which I'm going to reenact this program that I have of bringing a Savior into the world. So God took this nation, the man first, made of him a nation, and said, the seed is coming from you, so that from now on you know the seed is coming through Abraham. You don't need to look for the seed to come through some other line. It'll now be through the line of Abraham. Now, God began to narrow that down because Abraham had several sons. God said, in Isaac, thy seed. And then Isaac had a couple of sons. But God said, it's in Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons. And God said, it's in Judah. So that God is putting down a clear-cut highway marker right down through history. Then he moved a little farther. As we saw last time, He moved into the tribe of Judah and took a little shepherd boy and to that shepherd boy says, I'm going to make you the king. And I'll not only make you a king, but your line is going to be a line that will stay on the throne and the scepter will remain in this line until I bring into the world that one that I promised. Now you will find, I did not turn to all the scriptures, but you will find that David in the 89th Psalm, said, God made an oath to me, and that God will not lie. 
that is going to bring through me the one that's to come, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And David, in his old age, if you read the last part of David's life in 1 Samuel, about the 26th chapter, David says, God made this promise to me, and this is my salvation. I'm looking for him to come. He'll be my Savior. And you remember the very interesting question that the Lord Jesus put to these rulers when they actually were questioning his birth? He said to them, How is it that David, who was the father, how can he call him Lord if this one is a son of David? And that, may I say, is a question they did not answer. Because if you answer it, he couldn't be David's Lord unless he's born miraculously. Now, by the time you get to Isaiah, it's very well established. In fact, all the prophets are very clear, and that's the reason I took this isolated one, that it's through the line of David that he's coming into the world. Now, there'll be a question. We'll look at that tonight. But which one will it be in the line of David? David had quite a line. Now, which one will it be? Can you identify him? Is there some way that when he comes, you'll be able to identify him? All right, let's look first at this prophecy that we have right here. It's Isaiah 11, and this is a great prophecy concerning the second coming of Christ, because the minute you move from verse 1, you'll find that he's the one that's to reign on the earth. And this looks to the kingdom that he's to set up when he comes the second time. But what we are concerned about tonight is his origin. Now, will you notice? There shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Three things. A rod, a branch, and roots. And all of these actually relate to one thing. And what is that? A seed. A rod speaks actually of authority. We'll look at that in a moment. But a branch speaks of a family, doesn't it? Not a branch on a tree, branch on a vine. That's what our Lord said concerning the church. I am the vine, you're the branches. You're joined to me in the great family of God in the church today, a vital relationship. He is the branch, the one that is to come. And it identifies him, therefore, with the family of David. And the root, again, is the same thing. Now, I'm coming back to this, but here is the thing that I want you to note. Somebody's going to say, wait just a minute. You said David. It doesn't say David. It says Jesse. Why did the prophet say Jesse and not David? Because everywhere else, Isaiah will say David. But here, he's going to say Jesse. Well, I want you to see something that I think reveals again how remarkable the prophecies of the Scripture are. And here's one of those remarkable instances. David is the king. The kingly line begins with him. Who was Jesse? Jesse was a farmer. He raised sheep. He lived in Bethlehem. Who is Jesus? Carpenter. You're back down to the peasant when he came. It's a root out of Jesse 
Not David now. But isn't he in the... Of course he's in the line of David, but Scripture is very accurate. We are not today, but the Word of God is. It's back to a peasant. And so when he's born in Bethlehem, he's a peasant, if you please. And he wore a peasant's robe. What did they say of it? This is the carpenter. Is not this the man of Galilee? Nobody called him a king, did they? He was just back in the same position that Jesse was when he came. And he was not recognized for who he was, the king in David's line. So we drop back here. But isn't it interesting? At his first coming, he's in the stem of Jesse. But Isaiah immediately says, The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And then he moves to his kingdom when he comes the second time as king of kings and lord of lords. Now, will you notice these three? To me, they're quite interesting. A rod speaks really of authority. A rod out of Jesse. You mean a rod out of Jesse? Yes. A rod is a symbol of authority. You remember Moses had a rod. Moses, what's that in your hand? What's a shepherd's stick? You take that rod, Moses, and I'll deliver the children of Israel with it. You go into the presence of Pharaoh with that rod. That's a badge of your authority. And that rod became a badge of authority. May I say to you, when he walked this earth, even though he's in peasant's robe, he carries a rod. And the rod is the authority of the Son of God as he walked this earth. I feel like today that that's something that believers are losing sight of. My friend, he has a rod, and that rod is authority. How little that's recognized in the church today. We speak of the fact he's head of the church. Is he head of the church? Well, I say that the rod is the badge of his authority. Then notice this second, branch. Well, branch speaks of the family. It speaks of the family of Jesse and that he comes in this line. And if you go through Isaiah, which I'll not do tonight, this is not our intent at this time, you will find that in four specific instances he's spoken of as a branch and in each one in just a little different fashion. He is the branch. And I would suggest you follow that through. And this gives me a marvelous opportunity for a commercial. Even right before Christmas, we do have a book table and we have Isaiah back there. You'll need Isaiah. Follow through on what the branch, what it really means, how significant it is. He's the branch. He's coming in the family of David. And then he's the root. And here is the amazing thing. In Isaiah 53, he's called a root out of a dry ground. Who would ever have thought that that nation, back out of Babylonian captivity, now under the heel of Rome, actually, they're way out there in the hinterland. How can they produce this one? Well, he's a root out of a dry ground. It would be just like you walking out here in Death Valley. And suppose that you walk through Death Valley, and believe me, it's pretty dead. You walk through there and you see all of this salt, you see all of the deadness in places cactus can't even grow. And you go through one of those places, 
And all of a sudden, you see one of these lovely heads of lettuce, like that grow up here around Salinas, that has to have so much water, so much care, so much attention, and there it is growing. You'd say, my, how in the world did that get out here? He's a root out of a dry ground. Here is the thing that has caused evolution, and believe me, do you know the greatest argument against evolution is Jesus Christ? If you're going to have evolution, why don't you work up to him? And then produce him, and then after you produce him, get somebody better than he is. And I want to say to you tonight, in all sincerity and as candid as I can be, I don't think the Beatles are superior to him. May I say to you, in fact, I think they are very inferior to him. Isn't it amazing that history produces him? There's been none like him before, and there's none like him afterward. He's a root. Out of a dry ground. You see how Isaiah is developing this? He's coming. And when he comes, he'll come when the ground's as dry as it can be. Well, these people are under Rome. That's Herod's temple. Pharisees, Sadducees, rascals, Herodians. And here he comes, a root out of a dry ground. And this boasted, vaunted civilization that we have today, and I hope you don't misunderstand me tonight in saying this. Right now we have every kind of a gadget and science, oh how wonderful, but where are the men tonight? Who are the leaders of the world? Huh? LBJ? You mean after all of these years that's what we have? Now don't misunderstand me, I don't see a Republican that's much better. I'm not talking politics, I'm just saying the world's not producing man. Why isn't evolution producing something today that's worthwhile? What a bunch of peanuts they are on the scene today calling themselves, you know, leaders of the world. May I say to you, friend, he still is the root out of the dry ground. How tremendous that is. Now, I'm not through. I'm going to take the other prophecy and I say, I'd like to go ahead and develop this, but my... We've got to get home for Christmas. Now, we have Isaiah 7, 14. Let's turn to Isaiah 7, 14. Now, this is the one that is controversial. And let me give you something of the background tonight. Probably the most debated passage of Scripture. And the thing that caused it to erupt here just a few years ago was the presence of the Revised Standard Version in 1952. Before 1952, this liberal group, and that's what they were, they got out in 1946 the New Testament. And the New Testament, I must confess, I found it very good in certain spots. And I'll be honest with you, these men who translated it, many of them are outstanding Greek scholars. I had the privilege of studying under one of them. He's a Greek scholar, but he's a liberal. And so they got out the New Testament. Then they got out the whole Bible, and do you know what they did? They put a very interesting little note in Matthew after verse 16, and they said this, Other ancient authorities read Joseph, to whom was betrothed the virgin Mary, was the father of Jesus, who's called Christ. 
They put that in the note. Now, there happens to be conservative scholars of as good as these men. Fact of the matter is, these men had to use the concordance and commentary of one of the greatest conservative Greek scholars, and that was Dr. A.T. Robertson at the Louisville Baptist Seminary. And I want to tell you, he was a Greek scholar. He's got volumes. Ooh. He took the little word and, which in the Greek is chi, and I read it, 25 pages on a little word chi. I could tell you all I know about chi in one sentence. That man wrote 25 pages. He is a scholar. They had to use his book, by the way. So some of these conservative men said, why did you put that note there when you know it doesn't belong there? Because it happens to come out not of a manuscript, and they're wrong when they say that. It was an unshul. An unshul put out by an unbeliever of that day. And you know, the explanation they gave was, well, we let a group of seminary students go through and do the mechanical part. You mean to tell me that you take the Word of God and let a group of seminary students do it? And you know, if you get the latest one of the Revised Standard Version, you know where the note is? It's not in there anymore. They took it out. That's quite an admission, isn't it? And may I say to you, you can deny the virgin birth all you want to, but you can't deny that the Word of God teaches it. The Word of God teaches the virgin. You can deny it if you want to. That's all right. You're an unbeliever if you do. You can deny it. But let's be very careful about one thing. The Word of God teaches the virgin birth. Now, with that preliminary, let's go to Isaiah 7:14. It reads like this, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, do you want to know how this Revised Standard Version translated this? And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary man, that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a young woman shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, I want you to look at this for a moment, how utterly preposterous that translation really is. And it reveals, and that's my reason for saying tonight, that I have no confidence in any modern translation. And I do not care whether it's even put out by conservatives, for the very simple reason that every translation that has come off and we've had an epidemic of them, that have come off in the past few years, reveal the bias and the theology and the prejudice of those who translate. Now, Dr. Goodspeed, I sat next to him several years ago out here at the Ambassador Hotel, and I was a guest, somebody, so that's the reason I got in there. And I sat next to Dr. Goodspeed. I studied under, supposed to be his leading scholar, who took a PhD under it. And so... I asked him about, you know, in his translation, he says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was divine. And this man called his attention to Dr. Goodspeed. He says, Dr. Goodspeed, you're a scholar. And you knew better than to do that because you know that a noun is stronger than an adjective. 
And you can't take a noun out of one language and translate it in another language without weakening your translation. And in the Greek it says, In the beginning was the Word, Logos, and the Word was with God, Phels. And the Word was, Phels, God, noun. You translated it divine. That's an adjective. See? Prejudice. He's a liberal. He doesn't believe in the deity of Christ. You see what they'll do. Now, I don't care for modern translations. Now, these fellows here, they wanted to get rid of the virgin. So they took this word and they said, we'll translate it young woman. Now, Alma in the Hebrew. Somebody says, well, couldn't you translate it that? Yes, many Hebrew words and Greek words have many translations. But will you notice the background, and the background is this. Old Ahaz came to the throne. He was the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah. Uzziah had been a good king. He died. Jotham was a good king. And then Old Ahaz came to the throne, and he was a rascal. Isaiah the prophet was to speak to him. He didn't want to listen to Isaiah. And so God says to Isaiah, The thing that he's doing is that in the north, the northern kingdom of Israel has joined up with Syria, and they're coming against Jerusalem. This old boy is just scared to death. He's just scared to death, and he is on the verge of running down to Egypt to make an alliance with Egypt to get help. Now, I want you to get a word to him. And he won't listen to you, but you go up, and I can't go into detail tonight, but it's amazing where God sent him to meet him. Actually, in the fuller's field. You know what the fuller was? The laundry. Go up at the laundry and meet him. It's a good place to meet a person, by the way, where you can get cleaned up. And oh, Ahaz needed cleaning up. And so he met him there. And he was to take his little son with him. And he's to meet the king, and he's to say to the king, these two men that have joined in alliance against you, it won't stand. Don't be afraid of them. They'll not destroy them. Don't be afraid. So Isaiah went up and waylaid the king, gave the message. Now God says, he's an old unbeliever. I want you to tell him, ask for a sign, and I'll give him a sign. If you just ask for a sign, I'll give him a sign to confirm his faith. Now, what do they has to do? You talk about a pious fraud. He's a pious fraud. He says, and very piously says, Oh, I wouldn't ask of God a sign. You know. My friend, when God tells you to ask, better ask. And it's all right that. God says, ask for a sign. You don't believe. And don't cover up with this piosity that you won't ask of God a sign. Ask for a sign and I'll demonstrate to you that I'm going to deliver you without making an alliance with Egypt. You don't need to do that. No rascal had emissaries right then on the way to Egypt to get help. I won't ask for a sign. May I say to you, how many times in our Christian life that we take that position, something comes to us, and we say, oh, I'll accept that of the Lord. When we don't accept it, do we? We're fighting against it the best we can. You know, it's so easy today to take a pious attitude and not 
deal in reality. May I say this to you tonight? Look, if trouble comes to you and you don't understand it, don't say you understand it. Go to God and say, I don't understand it. He'll appreciate it. I wish that we had more honesty with God today. And I think God would deal with us a little differently than he does. Instead of this business of mouthing some pious platitude and saying, oh, I'm just trusting the Lord. Well, you're not trusting the Lord. Then go tell him, Lord, this thing has come to me and I don't know what to do. And I can't trust you. Help me. You know, I think we'd get a little better connection with the Lord if we do that. But this fellow Ahaz, oh, you can't get very far with a fellow like that. He says, I won't ask of God a sign. And Isaiah says, wait just a minute. You're going to have a sign whether you like it or not. And the sign is this. Now, may I say that if it means 700 years from that day, there's going to be born in Bethlehem a baby that will fulfill this, and we know that tonight. But how did he know it? Well, may I say to you, he didn't know it. I believe, and will you follow me now very carefully, I believe that God gave a sign in that day. And I'm of the opinion there was a miraculous birth at that particular time. Now, don't misunderstand. Somebody says, are you sure about that? Oh, what about the birth of Isaac? Was it miraculous? Ask Abraham. Paul says in the fourth of Romans that he considered not the deadness of Sarah's womb. Now, let's not talk about Abraham. Let's talk about Sarah. She can't have a child. Well, she did. His birth was miraculous. Read the story of Samson again. His birth was miraculous. May I say to you tonight that God has never, as best I can tell from the Word of God, God has never yet flashed some great truth on the world suddenly. He prepares the world for it. He's always made ample preparation. You can't take the Old Testament and go through it without seeing how God patiently, down through the centuries, prepared for everything that He did through Christ. Why do you think all those sacrifices were for? To teach people that sin is sin and requires the death penalty and that he would provide a sacrifice. And do you know that after teaching them that from the Garden of Eden right down to the cross, they missed the point even then. And we talk about that we've got a high IQ. We may have a high IQ, but our spiritual IQ is pretty low. They didn't get the point. It didn't get through. But God has always prepared the world for everything. And any great truth you have in the New Testament, you'll find God made preparation. And so God's making preparation back in the Old Testament. And I'm of the opinion that, and I have no historical basis for this at all. There's no record given. But it, to me, it stands to reason that there was going to be a birth that would demonstrate to Ahaz and probably in his own family that it would be a sign and that that would be a sign as some think it's the prophet's sign. I don't know. I do know this, that a sign was given at that time to Ahaz. But like many prophecies, it requires a fulfillment down in history. All of these prophecies require that kind of a fulfillment. 
And God always had the prophet speak into a local situation so that he could demonstrate he is a prophet of God and be creditable and accepted. You take Isaiah, for instance. The illustration I use of him is this man went in one day to Hezekiah when Hezekiah became king. Hezekiah was frightened. After all, the Assyrian army was outside of his door. 180,000 of those trigger-happy Syrians out there with bow and arrows. And God sent Isaiah, and Isaiah said, Look, Hezekiah, God's heard your prayer. They're not coming in the city. God will not deliver this city to the Assyrians. Fact of the matter is, not one arrow will be shot in this city. Now, I'd have been afraid to say that. Because who knows, one of those 180,000 trigger-happy Assyrians, one boy might just take out an arrow out of his quiver, put it in the bow and say, look, and pull it back and over the wall it goes. And do you know if it does, Isaiah's a liar. But not one of the 180,000, read the story of what happened to them. They just weren't shooting arrows in Jerusalem. Didn't do it. And that made Isaiah an acceptable prophet to Hezekiah. This man knows what he's talking about. But you see, this is the man that also said, there's coming one, the root out of the dry ground that's going to die upon the cross also. And he's also the one said, a virgin shall conceive. Now we have the interpretation of this. And the interpretation of it, as you know, is in Matthew. And to me, the remarkable thing here is, and probably before we leave that word Alma, I ought to take you back to where these liberals who did this translating, and they go back, actually, to the 24th chapter of the book of Genesis, and it's concerning Rebekah, and it's where this word is used. And I think that we ought to turn there, and I'll turn, and let me read verse 43. 24, 43. Now, this was when the servant of Abraham came and wanted to get a bride for Isaac. Now, he has been taken into the home of Laban, and he has explained his mission and why he's come, and he tells them what happened to him after he got there. He says, verse 43, Behold, I stand by the well of water. It shall come to pass that when the virgin cometh forth to draw water, and I say to her, Give me, I pray thee, a little water of thy pitcher to drink, and so forth. Now, the word virgin there is the same word, Alma. And they say, well, when you look at the description that's given of her, that could be translated just young woman. And that's all that the servant was saying. I grant that. May I say, that's quite a concession to make to the liberal. But I have something to say, and that is that when the Word of God gives a description of this girl, another word is used in the 24th of Genesis, verse 16. Listen to this description of her. And the damsel was very fair to look upon a virgin. A different word, but wait a minute. <laughs> Somebody says maybe she's just a young woman. All right, go ahead and translate it that way. See where you come out. Neither had any man known her. My friend, if that servant of Abraham went in and when he gave an account and he used the word Alma, that's all he could say. He said, young woman, I'm sure of that. He didn't know her. But she had a brother there by the name of Laban that was a 
pretty much of a fighter, as you know. I tell you, Jacob had trouble with him later on. Well, what do you think he would have done? Huh? Suppose that this one said, I call her young woman because I don't think she's a virgin. I think Brother Laban would have knocked his block off. And when he used the word Alma, Laban understood, the servant understood, that when he said young woman, he meant virgin. And then there's another point that you need to take in consideration. Can you imagine Isaiah walking out to Ahaz and say, Ahaz, a young woman is going to have a child. I think Ahaz had said, run along. They're having children all the time, young women are. May I say to you, friend, you don't get by that easy. Now, you can deny the virgin birth, but you can't deny that Isaiah didn't mean virgin. And now, if that's not enough, and I must close now, because we're going to get out early as a Christmas gift this evening, will you notice this? Matthew 1, now the birth of Jesus Christ, verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. Here's the way it happened, according to Matthew. When, as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. That's clear enough, isn't it? Dr. Fosdick years ago says that the virgin birth is a biological impossibility. And unfortunately, Dr. Fosdick is like I am. He knew nothing about biology. And he certainly knew nothing about impossibility. And the Word of God makes it very clear that it was a biological impossibility. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. She shall bring forth a son. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, what? A virgin. And in the Greek, there's no question about the word. It's parthenos. It's this word you find in the Greek that speaks of the temple of Athena in Athens, Parthenon, Parthenos. And my friend, it can only mean one thing, and it means exactly what is said here. Behold, a virgin shall be with child, shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Now I close with this. Will you notice it was done in fulfillment of what Isaiah had. Now, when the New Testament, and this to me is conclusive, when the Holy Spirit interprets his own word, you can debate and argue about the word in the Old Testament all you want to, but the Holy Spirit's very clear what he meant by it. He interpreted it virgin. Behold a virgin. And he made that clear to Joseph and Joseph understood that. Matthew understood it. And they understood it in that day. That, behold, a virgin shall conceive, and she shall bear a child. Now, that, may I say, is the wonderful teaching that I think is in this passage of Scripture. Now, I want you to see something 
Now, in conclusion, God has had four different methods of bringing into the world human beings. The first method is the one that we have in the book of Genesis in the creation of man. He's created ex nihilo. That is, when I say out of nothing, of course, he took the dust of the earth. But the point is, he didn't begin with some creature on the other side of him. He took the dust of the earth. Man is a creation of God. And then the second method of God was a creation of woman being taken from the side of man. And then we have natural birth today, one born every minute. And what we hear now, two of them are born every minute. Then the fourth method is the virgin birth. I have a question for you tonight. Which one of these is more miraculous than another? If you would ask me tonight, every one of these is a miracle. To create man out of the dust of the earth is a miracle. To create a woman out of a man is a miracle. Natural birth, we accept it today, but it's a miracle. Here comes into the world this little fella. Beautiful little fella, looks like his mother and but listen to him, that the nature of his father, how'd that happen? Natural birth. And I say to you tonight, it's a miracle. Just because you see it every day doesn't mean it's not a miracle. Then the virgin birth. I say to you tonight that the only way that God could have got into the human family was by the virgin birth. The only way he could get into the human family. Listen to Matthew. He says... Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And all this is done that it might be fulfilled. And his name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. And you show me a place where he was ever called Emmanuel. He was never called that. Never. Why not? Because by coming into the world as he did, it's God taking upon himself human flesh, and Emmanuel means God with us. And when he's born of the virgin, it's the only way that God can get into the human family. You see, this human family is tainted with sin. And that was the only method that he could come in. You tell me how else he could be. My friend, the only way that God can get into the human family was by the virgin birth. 1,900 years ago he came, he left heaven's glory, and he came down to this earth, and he took upon himself our frail humanity. How could it be possible for him to do that? It's by the virgin birth. When I go back in time, I'll put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed and her seed, it's going to bruise your head. Her seed? What about the man? He'll have nothing in the world to do with it. Born of a virgin, he came into our family and became one of us, sent apart in order that he might be the Savior of the world. God opened up a highway. And he made it very clear how he was coming. He said he's coming of a woman. He's coming in the line of Abraham. 
he made it very clear how he was coming into the world, and I think even when he was coming into the world, made it very clear. They shouldn't have missed him. Now, I do not mean to be ridiculous in closing. They should have known him when he came. Somebody says, and I can't understand how they missed him. Think of those that are not looking for him to come the second time. Don't you see the position of these who are looking for him to come? We don't believe it. Just as multitudes say today, we don't believe he's coming the second time, and that's the reason they didn't recognize him. Let's suppose tonight that you had never seen me before, and it was announced that I was to come here and speak tonight. And Mr. Cole here was presiding, and Mr. Cole had never seen me, and, and he wrote me a letter and says, how will I know when you come? Well, I said, I'll tell you how you'll know me. I'm going to have on a green pair of trousers. I'm going to have on a blue coat, and I'll have on a checkered vest, and I'm going to have on a bright red necktie, and I'll have a high silk hat, I'll be holding a birdcage in one hand in which there is a monkey, and I'll be leading a great Dane dog with the other hand. I'll have one brown shoe and one black shoe on. Do you think Mr. Cole would have missed me when I walked in? I think he'd have known who I was. I don't mean to be ridiculous, but God says, I put enough identification for you to know him when he comes. They should have known when he came. Well, just as God carefully prepares the world for everything that he's going to do through Christ, he also prepares our hearts for the work that he's going to do in our lives. You know, as you've listened to these prophecies from long ago, have you realized that slowly and patiently God has been preparing your heart to make a decision by faith to accept Jesus Christ's offer of salvation? Well, if that's the case, we'd certainly love to hear from you today. Call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE, and we can send you some free resources for your Christian journey, including Dr. McGee's popular pamphlet, The Inside Story. Again, that number is 1-800-65-BIBLE. Or you can download these resources and access a bunch more immediately when you visit ttb.org yourself and click on the banner that says, How Can I Know God? You can also write to us at Box 7100. Pasadena, California, 91109. In Canada, Box 25325, London, Ontario, N6C, 6B1. And for more on today's important topic, visit ttb.org and download Dr. McGee's free digital booklet, Right on Time, Expecting Jesus Then and Now. In this terrific study, we look at the prophecies pointing to the arrival of the Messiah, as Dr. McGee warns that just as Israel missed his first coming, We should be watching and waiting expectantly so we don't miss his return. It's the perfect message to get us in the spirit to worship, adore, and give gratitude to him this month and all year long. Again, to download right on time, expecting Jesus, then and now, visit ttb.org. And if you enjoyed this message that you just heard and you want to hear more great teaching by Dr. McGee, join us for the weekday program of Through the Bible. This week, the Bible bus takes a little detour from our study in Romans to focus on some important Christmas messages by Dr. McGee. We'd love to have you join us. To listen online or to find a station that carries the daily program, just visit ttb.org. Well, that's it for us today. Be sure to join us next week for Dr. McGee's sermon, The Bright and Morning Star and the Son of Righteousness. I'm Steve Schwetz. Looking forward to seeing you next time as we together celebrate the birth of our Savior. O come, let us adore Him. Jesus made it all.
Join us each weekday for our five-year daily study through the whole Word of God. Check for times on this station or look for Through the Bible in your favorite podcast store and always at ttb.org.